umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999 hello welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast this is phil callahan along with clint derringer and tonight we're going to talk about clint's very interesting blog post where he does some really nice work comparing jim harbaugh's first five seasons to some notable coaches' first five seasons, and then throws in a couple extra ones. So, Clint, could you go over um, how you selected the coaches for your for your chart here? Yeah, so we, you and I, last year, last off season, January, discussed a, a comparison of Harbaugh's first four years and Lloyd Carr's last four years, and we talked about how Harbaugh had effectively uh, brought the program and back to the level that Carr had left it, and that the four-year comparison was was nearly a tie across the board. And when we compared kind of metric to metric, Harbaugh had a slight advantage. So I wanted to follow up and add the fifth year to the analysis. And uh, by by going backwards one more year in Lloyd Carr's career, we added the 2003 Big Ten championship season to the uh, car side of the ledger. And then uh, obviously the 2019 season for Harbaugh was a, a nine and four or somewhat disappointing season. So uh, it flipped from a, a slight Harbaugh advantage to a slight car advantage. And that was a little bit uh, disconcerting. So I wanted to extend that. And uh, so I started kind of piling some other coaches in there the, from, from Lloyd Carr. I went to Jim Trestle um, because you know the uh, the metrics really only go back to the uh, to the mid 2000s. I used the last five of his career, and then I decided to start grabbing some coaches where we had kind of an apples to apples comparison, where we could look at the first five of their careers. So after Jim Tressel, I did Urban Meyer, uh, Mark D'Antonio, Dabo Swinney, Nick Saban. Uh, Brian Kelly, James Franklin, and Chris Peterson. So, um, kind of, kind of cruised through all of that and, and did the comparison of the first five seasons. And uh, afterward, I, there was a couple points that you and I both agreed were were somewhat surprising. Some were uh, surprisingly good news, and others were surprisingly bad news. So, uh, all in all, I, I feel like. I've got a better idea of the context that the, the Jim era, the Jim Harbaugh era is, is kind of off to a start here. All right. And just to, to make a point, when we talk about Nick Saban, we're talking about his time at Alabama, correct? Yeah. Just the first five years of his time in Alabama. So one thing that jumped out to me, and uh, I think it, it speaks to the state of the program where when we're looking at Lloyd, when we're looking at Lloyd Carr's last five seasons, uh, generally at the time, I would say fandom w- was overall pretty unhappy. You know, it was definitely, um, you know, there was the, of course, there was the Appalachian State loss, but just overall people weren't happy with the trend of the program. And when I look at Jim Harbaugh's first five years, people feel a lot better now, but I think it's indicative of where things were after Rich Rodriguez, after Brady Hoke, and I do think it, it puts uh, even Lloyd Carr's last four or five seasons in a different light where 
there are a lot of people who said, oh, Michigan can recruit itself. Michigan can coach itself. Anybody could coach the team. And unfortunately, we saw in Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke that the program, uh, you know, continued to, to kind of dip. And I think we have to give Coach Harbaugh a ton of credit for stopping that negative momentum and, and turning the ship around and, 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 you know, having things trend up. You know, they're, I'm, you know, I'm one of the people, you know, I'm disappointed that we haven't beaten Ohio State with Coach Harbaugh, and I'm disappointed we haven't won a, a Big Ten championship. But I, I think you have to look at the negative momentum that he inherited and uh, really have to give him credit for uh, the program. You know, I describe it being buoyant again, at least being in the discussion, um, whereas, again, the, the, the Rodriguez-Hoke era just – or eras really, really were, were a really negative, toxic time to, uh, in the fandom. Yeah, absolutely. I think it took a lot of, of energy and a major culture shift to, to turn the ship around, um, in 2015 and, and through the 2019 season. So, um, you and I, football as it has been through, you know, all the way back to the Bo Schembechler area, you should be winning Big Ten titles, beating Ohio State, beating Michigan State, beating Notre Dame. Those are the those are the the benchmarks. And uh, you know, there's some benchmarks have been cleared and some have not. Um, so so it, it was helpful to kind of look at this broader context, just because uh, you know it, it was frustrating coming off a season in which um, I thought that. Uh, we may be pushing uh, to finally break through and they uh, take advantage of a first year coach in Columbus and maybe uh, finally get to Indianapolis. And when it didn't happen, I was really looking, really searching for that context to see if, uh, if my negative or my, my temporarily pessimistic outlook was more right. Or if my uh, kind of deeper rooted optimism was, was more right. And, there's a, there's a little bit of both. There's a little bit to be optimistic about, a little bit to be pessimistic about. The other interesting thing when I look at these, and I'm thinking especially um, Urban Meyer and even Mark D'Antonio, you have to look at it in the context of what else was going on in the conference. And I look at what Jim Harbaugh is doing right now with you know, Ohio State still being the platinum standard of the conference and uh, Penn State definitely, you know, being in the mix there. It seems like that, um, and, and again, I, I think, you know, the, the statistics bore this, bear this out a little bit, that, you know, the environment that Michigan is trying to compete in is a little more difficult than, uh, for example, even when, you know, Bo Schembechler was triumphant in the Big Ten where it was, you know, the Big Two and the Little Eight. It was Michigan and Ohio State. Now, with the expanded uh, conference, with the extra teams they've added, the extra travel, it, it's definitely a, a more difficult bar. Now, the flip side of that is Ohio State still is the standard that you need to beat, and I think that's one of the uh, still one of the frustrating things. But I really like how you've compared what you know James Franklin has done and where Brian Kelly is. So it's it's uh, and and of course Davos Sweeney. I mean, really, when you look at this. I think it gives you, it should give people a really good perspective on, you know, stripping the emotion away of, of the, the two really hurting losses to Ohio State the last two seasons. Statistically speaking, 
the program is in a much better state. And, and again, I think trend, still trending upward. So it's, it, it's good to kind of, um, you know, a, a little bit after the season to kind of see things in a, in a clearer light. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it, I think it's clear that the disappointment is that we expected Harbaugh to immediately compete with uh, Urban Meyer and Nick Saban, and uh, obviously that didn't happen. And when we expanded the analysis to some of those wider, other comparable coaches, you can see that that those two guys, Urban Meyer and Nick Saban, really stand out and kind of pull away from the pack in terms of what they did in their, in their first five seasons. Um, you know, Nick Saban in year five um, had already won two national titles, um, which is just, just amazing. And then Urban Meyer won a national title um, also in his first five years and was, was not eligible for the postseason in his first year in 2012. And uh, the Buckeyes had gone 12 and all. So uh, it, even using the, the wide metrics that we used, those two guys stand out um, pretty clearly. Um, the top guy on the list for, for the 17 metrics that I chose to use was actually the, the final five seasons of the Jim Trestle era. And I think it's telling that, that when Urban Meyer came in in 2012, immediately he said that the way the Buckeyes were running their program, they were not going to be able to compete with the SEC elite programs. You know, that, that he knew coming from Florida in his previous stop that the way things that Jim Tressel had built, which was successful, obviously, in his own right, that they were going to have to make some tweaks to really be able to compete with the SEC. So um, there, there's clearly a, another step, another gear that has to get hit to get to that level. And uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see whether Harbaugh can, take Michigan's program in that direction because after you get those two guys, the other five coaches that we compared to again, that's James Franklin, Brian Kelly, Davos Winnie, Mark D'Antonio and Chris Peterson. All of those guys through five seasons averaged the same nine and four record that Harbaugh is, is averaging. And then in terms of overall record, Harbaugh's is actually better. Harbaugh in five years is 47 and 18. And that's better than any of those other guys. Dabo Swinney was 47 and 20. Brian Kelly was 45 and 20. And James Franklin was 45 and 21. So um, if you look at the, each one of those uh, coaches and, and what they were able to do, um, they, they, they get a little bit more praise probably because the, the level of expectations immediately, um, coming in were a little bit different than what uh, some of the uh, some of the savior type labels that Michigan faithful had, had put on Harbaugh. So now, now we're more recalibrated. Um, it, 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 the reality is what it is. Now it's time to, uh, to take the next step certainly and, and move to a championship level because continuing at the, uh, the level that we're at right now, certainly we would start to fall behind the uh, you know six through ten seasons of some of these other guys, uh, even by comparison. So it, it is necessary to to keep improving and to move up, and hopefully get to that eleventh uh, and twelfth win and, and start playing for championships at the end of the season. You know the other interesting thing that you point out is that 
the program at Ohio State, and again, I'm, I'm going to keep talking about Ohio State because that's really what we're trying to compare ourselves against and, and trying to displace at this point. But as successful as Jim Trussell was in his last five years, when he stepped out of the program, you know, under, under dubious circumstances, and Luke Fickle came in for that one gap year, that year of, of uh, underachieving by Ohio State standards probably was one of the best things that could have happened to them because, you know, Luke Fickle came in, they, they uh, ended up, you know, a game, you know, six and seven after losing in the bowl game. And we look back because that's the one time in recent history that Michigan beat Ohio State. And as much as that stung for Buckeye fans, that mediocre year basically laid the groundwork for Urban Meyer to come in. And the, and as you said, he basically kind of, I wouldn't say dismantled, but basically definitely did a major recalibration where if they had if stayed with Fickle and kind of kept going in the trestle, the trestle uh, momentum, you know, they, they may not have reached the uber success, uber under Urban that, that they did. So, you know, a lot of people, you know, swinging back to Michigan now, have criticized that, well, what kind of offense is Jim Har- Harbaugh trying to do? He's changed things every couple years. And, and what I look at is that he's really doing that recalibration on the fly where, um, you know, Josh Gaddis came in and, and that is a, I would say, a drastic new offense. And we got the drastic new offensive uh, outlook without having to switch head coaches. So while... Uh, there are many in the Michigan community who are frustrated over the last, over some of the results in the last five years. I look at, you know uh, you know, they always say, you know, the dialing up Jim Harbaugh is dialing up different combinations and he is trying to leapfrog Ohio state the same way that urban Meyer uh, is, you know, was brought in and basically leapfrog where Trussell had the program. So it's really, fascinating to, to sit back and, and see, uh, you know, the changes in coaches, the changes in philosophy, and hopefully we can look forward to, um, you know, a similar success here at Michigan. I mean, I, I as much as I, I like Shea Patterson as a quarterback and admire, you know, the grit that he showed playing injured and, and you know, going through the transfer that and everything that he went through, in my heart, I don't think he was um, – what Josh Gaddis had in mind as his prototype, prototypical quarterback to run his offense. Okay. So I think over the next, you know, hopefully this season, but definitely in the next couple of seasons, we're going to see the offense evolve under Gaddis to something that's really going to be dangerous. And I think complement the Michigan defense really well. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, uh, I think Gaddis wants to incorporate the the quarterback into the run game a little bit more than he was able to in 2019 after Shea was injured early on. So that's one one key thing I'll be looking for through the spring is to see how uh, Dylan McCaffrey and Joe Milton are are being used in the quarter in in the run game um, off of the read option. I, I really think that the quarterback's going to carry the ball more in 2020. So. Um, there was one other one other piece that I wanted to to mention. Uh, another assumption that I had was that it, it was recruiting um, that really was a huge difference between 
um, you know, Harbaugh's success rate or not. And uh, he, he compares much better to the to the pack of coaches that we listed here than I would have thought. He's, right now, through five seasons, uh, Harbaugh's classes, uh, including the class of 2020, were ranked, uh, on average, 11th nationally. Now, that's uh, Saban was the highest. On average, he was second nationally. Uh, Urban Meyer was fourth nationally. Lloyd Carr was ninth nationally over his last five years. But after that, every, Harbaugh is either equal to or, or better than everybody else on that list, including Jim Tressel. Um, so the the players are there. You know, the, the elite-level talent to, to be able to take that next step is there. We, we've seen it because other coaches have been able to do it. Um, and then the last bit that I tacked on the end was, okay, so what did these coaches do in year six, you know, kind of of a look forward. And, and it's a very wide range. You know, D'Antonio probably had the worst year six of anybody in, in 2012. The Spartans went seven and six, you know, and, and Nick Saban went 13 and one and won his third national title in year six. So there's, there's a wide range of possibilities um, to see. Or, or what could happen. And I definitely expect Harbaugh to be on the higher end. And in 2019, one last, uh, one last point uh, is 2019 was year six for both James Franklin and Chris Peterson. And uh, Chris Peterson obviously was, was eight and five and, uh, you know, stepped down at the end of the year, uh, retired, you know, m- maybe done coaching at least, uh, at least a hiatus for now. And uh, last year, Penn State was 11 and two at the high end of the range of what we're looking at, and we know that uh, you know Michigan probably probably should have at least been into overtime with uh, with Penn State, you know, if Ronnie Bell holds on to that ball in the fourth quarter. So, um, you know, certainly at where Jim Harbaugh is right now, I, I would say is is either at or, or slightly above the level that the other quote-unquote elite coaches um, that he's being compared to are, are at. But the thing is, James Franklin has found a way to beat the Buckeyes. James Franklin's found a way to get to Indianapolis and has, has won some of those big games and big moments. And, and that's going to be the big difference in 2020 is whether Harbaugh and his staff can – can coach up some of the mental toughness and, and kind of elicit some of the leadership out of the players that's necessary to execute in the biggest spots in the big games and, and finally start winning some of those, um, especially on the road against, against the good teams. Well, and I think, uh, you know, that's going to be the question, right? Like what do we have in year six? So it's going to be interesting to me that, the, the there definitely is, um, I think anticipation. I think is is easy to say, a little bit of frustration. You know, you, you want to show that you're competitive with Ohio State, but again, um, you look and and I get and again when I because I'll tell you I was I was really disappointed at the end of the season. Uh, you know, first with you know the the thumping by Ohio State, and then uh, you know just not being able to to uh to stand with Alabama for four quarters after after you know doing so well for for a half and and 
really, you know, you know, squaring up pretty well. So what I'll be wondering is, um, you know, how does Michigan take this step? Um, you know, they're not going to have the luxury of, of a returning starter at quarterback. Okay. That is a, that's a huge point. Um, and again, losing some big pieces on, on defense, although they've been, they've proven they're, they've been able to reload. So we'll, we'll have to see if they can maintain that. But, uh, I, am really looking at, as you said, how will whoever wins the quarterback battle, uh, be integrated into the run game and, uh, you know, how this offense can get to the next level to level up with the defense. The defense is about as good as it can get. Um, you know, every year, uh, you know, the last two or three seasons, I keep saying, well, the defense is, is, you know, definitely one of the top in the country, but you can't expect them to score points and, and make up for a, for an offense that's kind of been sputtering at times last year, we saw the offense doing pretty well. And I, I think the question is, can they be consistent and continue to peak and, uh, you know, get it done in, in the big games at the end of the season to get to Indianapolis? Yeah, even even with the poor start last year on offense, they still ended up slightly higher ranked in SB plus on offense than the 2018 season. I, I think they ended the 2018 season 25th and I think finished last year uh, 22nd. So and, and remember that that's an offense that in week two couldn't run the ball for over three yards of carry against Army and, and Army's defense ended up ranked down in the 70s or 80s that was not not a good defense um so it was quite a, a successful turnaround for the offense i think um i think josh gaddis deserves a lot of credit for adapting um obviously uh, ed warner um had some say in, in what type of schemes and philosophy should should be implemented to see some success in the run game and, and it's going to be important to get off to a good start next year. And uh, especially again, mentioning Ed Warner replacing four out of five starters on that offensive line. It's going to be very interesting to see how Gaddis can use um, the weapons that he has um, to try to take some pressure off of a, a new starting quarterback and four out of five new starting offensive linemen. So that's another reason I think that the quarterback will be integrated into the run game. You know, that's uh, you got to account for one one more defender um, and put him in conflict by using your uh, your your option game and, and, and RPO. So it's going to be important that uh, they execute at the highest level. And, and the guys that are playmakers are going to have to win some one on one battles because um, I think scheme wise, it's going to be a little bit tough sled very beginning with, uh, you know, replacing so many starters and key positions on offense. So the other thing I wanted to touch on is when we were looking at the, the by the numbers, the coaches, you know, we're, we're looking at um, Mark Antonio's first five years. And uh, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that, you know, he has uh, decided to move on and uh, Michigan State has a new coach after kind of a, uh, an interesting coaching search. Um, and, uh, again, uh, I think, uh, you know, you mentioned in previous conversations, you think that they actually ended up with 
a pretty decent choice. Uh, do you want to share your thoughts on on uh, new coach Mel Tucker? Yeah, I think uh, I think the jury's still out overall, but um, considering uh, where I thought their coaching search was, first of all, Antonio down the day before signing day. That's that's awful timing. And uh, some of the question marks that were kind of hanging around as to why the timing was so bad and and the the investigations and and what else may be happening. Um, There was really kind of a black black cloud kind of uh, accumulating over the program. So um, then it really seemed like they were in trouble when Luke Fickle passed on the job and stayed at Cincinnati. So given those two really tough blows uh, to the whole process, I think they made out very well to get um, Mel Tucker from Colorado. Uh, he, from, from everything that I've read and heard, kind of objective third parties discussing uh, that Colorado is really uh, disappointed to see him go, even though they're coming off a five and seven season. They uh, they were really really encouraged by seeing uh, some of the changes that that Mel Tucker in. He comes from the Nick Saban tree, um, so it'll be interesting to see um, both scheme wise and, and also in terms of how he's going to attack recruiting in the Midwest. Um, I think they they managed to come out pretty pretty lucky um, to to end up with a, a very strong so he's still got to fill out his staff. Um, it's going to be a tough trip probably in 2020, but uh, th- there's a chance that, that that could go very well. You know, but there's, there's almost an equal chance that it could be uh, could be a tough couple years, and, and we'll see. Um, there may be there may be some other hurdles that that program still has to get over. So um, they're not out of the woods, and uh, obviously. You and I want to see Michigan continue to just uh, absolutely keep pouring all the pressure on, both on the recruiting trail and uh, on the field, just like they did in 2019. Uh, you know, the D'Antonio and the Spartans certainly showed uh, no mercy <laughs> to to the in-state rival while while we were down in the Richrod and, and Hoke era. So, uh, what goes around comes around, and uh, they, they still got a few more years of of really uh, taking it on the chin uh, if uh, if Harbaugh has anything to say about it. Well, and I think one of the things that, that Mel Tucker has said is that they're really looking at a complete culture change for whatever success that the Spartans had. And, you know, when I'm looking at, uh, you know, uh, D'Antonio's record, it's funny because, you know, you talk about the first five and then, you know, his fourth season in, he went on an amazing stretch. I mean, probably the best stretch of Michigan State football, you know, I would say in their history, definitely in my lifetime. But what's interesting about that is, you know, the last four seasons, you know, fell to 27 and 24 overall and 17 and 19 in the Big Ten. You know, that is not um, one or two bad seasons. Uh, you know, definitely, I think one of the things that, that impacted them is they were really great at not necessarily having great recruiting classes, but they would be able to recruit 
the perfect player to fit their schemes. And it's like that luck kind of ran out the last four or five years where, um, you know, they always had, they know, again, they would have a really good player or two, but they didn't quite have the depth and injuries really seemed to get to them. So I think that, um, you know, interestingly, even when, when Harbaugh came in, I would argue that the cupboard wasn't exactly bare from a recruiting standpoint. I don't think we were getting um, what we wanted to see from the players they got. Um, but, you know, again, I, I, I would argue that the cupboard was not bare. It looks for Mel Tucker right now that the cupboard is pretty lean. And as you said, I think he's going to he's gonna take it on the chin for a season or two. And, uh, you know, as far as his leaving his previous stop, you know, one of the things that really – uh, irritated people there is right up until, you know, the very day that he announced he was going to Michigan state, he was uh, professing love and devotion. So to his previous uh, stop. So, you know, and I understand where coaches are in that situation, but it's uh, you know, it, you definitely get some bad feelings from uh, the place you leave and, and the, and the recruits you are trying to bring in. Um, it would, it would be nice if somehow, uh, you know, there was a moratorium where they'd give a, where you couldn't ask a coach for a week or two while things were going on. So they didn't have to lie like that or, or uh, look like they're being deceptive, but it is what it is. He's at Michigan state. And uh, again, he comes in with really good credentials, you know, both at the collegiate level and in the pro level. So, uh, you know, he reminds me kind of uh, a little bit like the resume of, of Lovey Smith, except with, with better collegiate, credentials but definitely you know a lot of pro experience and I think that that's going to help in in recruiting the same way that it's helped Harbaugh where you know you can tell your players not only can I not only can I make you be successful or help you be successful at the collegiate level I know what pro teams are looking for and and you know I can help you possibly elevate your game so I think that's um, it's interesting between Harbaugh, Lovey Smith and now Mel Tucker I wonder if that's going to continue to be a trend for uh, for coaches as they, as they come in, uh, you know, at, at at not only in the Big Ten but but nationally. If it's you know having that track record of evaluating pro potential and and experience with pro schemes is going to be a differentiator for for candidates as they come in. Yeah, that's a good point. We'll uh, we'll see we'll see how that plays out. Um, you know, developing guys and putting them in the NFL is another one of the metrics that we looked at as we compared uh, these coaches. And uh, right now, Harbaugh is averaging five NFL draftees per year. And obviously, we got the draft combine this week and uh, the draft coming up in April. You know, I think Michigan's sending 11 to the combine. Um, I think there's uh, every reason to believe that another five or more Wolverines will be drafted in the upcoming draft. So, um, it's another pattern of success, uh, another feather in the cap that uh, Harbaugh can use on the recruiting trail. And, and also he, again, compares favorably to, to those other coaches in that same uh, comparable range. So he, he's got a lot of things going for him. Um, and I, I think it, it's a solid foundation. And, and now it's time to uh, to start building upward from that foundation. Well, and on a final note, uh, several weeks ago, I had some business in Indianapolis, so 
I want to let Coach Harbaugh know and Michigan and his football team know that I've done the scouting. It looks like a good city. I highly recommend they they go to the Big Ten Championship, hopefully this upcoming season. Um, so uh, definitely, uh, you know, I, I was wearing my Michigan gear and uh, at I, the hotel I was at, the uh, the person working the desk said, uh, yeah, when's uh, when Michigan, when is Michigan going to uh, make the Big Ten Championship here? And it was actually somebody from Michigan. So uh, it was it was humorous, but you know, a, a little, uh, a little, uh, a little tender because, uh, um, you know, definitely looking forward to, to being there. And, and I was staying about a block from the, the stadium. So I will I'm tell glad you, you uh, I'm glad you've confirmed that the roads between Anna and Indianapolis are indeed still open. Well, you know what? And, and I even flew, so I have driven there and I have flown there. So whatever mode of transportation Michigan wants to take, I think they're good to go. It's an incredibly short flight. I highly recommend it. Not a bad drive, you know, however they want to do it. Um, you know, I, I'll tell you, Clint, when it was announced that the Big Ten had chosen Indianapolis to be the uh, permanent site of the Big Ten football championship, I was kind of disappointed. Um, I was really hoping that it was going to rotate uh, you know, around and, and uh, we would get an opportunity to meet, you know, to, to go to different cities. Um, personally, I was really hoping for an outdoor venue, um, you know, because that's that's how God intended football. But it is what it is. I never I, the first thing I thought was, oh, my gosh, we're going to get sick of Indianapolis. I would have never thought at this point that we would have never gone to see Michigan in a Big Ten championship. So it's it's definitely uh it's definitely wearing on me, and uh, you know, hopefully, this will be the year that that it turns around. Yep, I, I agree. They're you just got to step up and do the work, and uh, execute in the big moments and, and win those games uh, when all the chips are on the line. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan, along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.